Our Old, As Old Testament reading is from Isaiah 52, verses 7 through 10. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of the messenger who announces peace, who brings good news, who announces salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. Listen, your sentinels lift up their voices. Together they sing for joy. For in plain sight, they see the return of the Lord to Zion. Break forth together into singing, you ruins of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Today's gospel reading is from John chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. Hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. Glory to you, O Lord. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was with God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and without him not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify to the light so that all might believe through him. He himself was not the light, but he came to testify to the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world came into being through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to what was his own, and his own people did not accept him. But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God, who were born not of blood or of the will of the flesh or the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and lived among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Would you pray with me? Our gracious God, we come to you at the beginning of this new year in need of your help. Uh, we come in many ways uh, probably relieved uh, that 2020 is over and hopeful for what a new year may bring. Uh, so would you meet us now as we sit with your scriptures, as we reflect on the good news of Jesus and this mystery of Christmas, would you meet us in this moment of expectation for what lies ahead in 2021? And would you draw our hearts and our imaginations toward you so that your hopes and your dreams for our lives and for your world might shape us even now, uh, this morning. So we lift up our time to you and ask your blessing on us in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Happy New Year. It happened. Uh, 2020 
is officially in the books, a year that will live in infamy. I remember back in March or April sometime, only a, a few weeks or so into the pandemic, uh, when I heard Stephen Colbert say something on TV to the effect of, well, well those weeks were, th those two weeks were the longest year of my life. You know, if only he could have known then uh, what was about to be in store, right? What would we say now that we're 10 months into the pandemic lockdown? And so 2021 begins. And I'm sure we all have our own hopes and dreams for the new year. Maybe you've made some resolutions as well. I know as I've thought about my own hopes and dreams for 2021, as I've talked to others, I think some of the common themes that I'm hearing and thinking and feeling are, you know, the, the hope for, for you and your loved ones to be able to get vaccinated before getting sick, right? For no more lives to be lost to COVID-19, for no more jobs to be lost to this economic winter, for schools to reopen. That's one in the Curry household that feels, uh, that we feel pretty strongly about. Longing, hoping to visit family, to hug parents and grandparents, uh, for those who have struggled with employment, uh, the hope of a better future. For those who have longed to travel and couldn't, we look forward and hope for that. We wanna see one another's smiles again. We wanna see real institutional change happen as a result of the surge of momentum that we saw in 2020, especially in the movement for racial justice. We wanna see healing for our divided country. We wanna see a peaceful transfer of political power. We wanna see one another face to face. We wanna to eat together. We wanna to be together and not be afraid. What is it for you? What are you hoping for? What are you longing for in this new year? For many of us, I think it can be pretty difficult actually uh, to keep ourselves from wanting to pin our hopes and dreams onto this new year. I know I, I feel that way often, uh, but of course we know in our rational moments that flipping the calendar over and turning that page, it doesn't do anything magical at all, right? It's not like it actually changes the situation at all to move from one year to the next. All the things that made 2020 so tragic and challenging obviously still linger in 2021. We certainly aren't going to see some swift reset that makes everything go back to quote unquote normal again, whatever normal might mean. So how do we keep moving forward in faith? How do we keep moving forward in hope and in love without losing heart and without burning out when the new year begins to look like more and more of the same, more of the long winter of the pandemic? You know, we spent a lot of time over the fall talking about our wilderness experience of 2020 as we read through the story of Israel's wandering in the wilderness of Sinai. And we kept coming back to this idea that uh, this wilderness con uh, context, so to speak, is one in which it really becomes possible for us to grow in wisdom, right? Because it's the wilderness that strips away all the things that we cling to all the other things that keep us from entrusting our lives to God's care and provision and guidance and his loving presence. And similarly, I think as we look ahead to 2021 and recognize that the long COVID winter persists, we might say that the way we engage the new year will also set us on a trajectory of sorts. 
And will it be a trajectory toward becoming wise and content, joyful, faithful people? Or will we set ourselves on a course for becoming more cynical, more bitter, more self-centered and proud? These passages of scripture that we just read, I think are really helpful as we consider our moving forward into the new year because they remind us that God's own hopes and dreams for his people and his world in 2021 and in all times must shape our own if we are to grow up as a people of wisdom, faith, hope, and love. You know, the gospel story that we celebrate at Christmas, it really presents Jesus as the fulfillment of God's dream for his world and for humanity. But it's before the gospel story in the Old Testament, especially in the prophets like Isaiah, who give us that dream in the first place. And here in Isaiah 52, we get a glimpse of it. And what do we see? We see a vision of hope breaking forth in troubled times. You know, this section of Isaiah comes from Israel's time in Babylonian exile, when the people of God lived as captives. Their homes were destroyed, their civilization had been toppled, their temple was lying in ruins. And yet the message here that comes forth from that very context and is spoken into that very context is one of good news. There's a declaration that the hard days are coming to an end. And the vision the prophet gives us is one in which the sentinels or the watchmen are looking out from the walls of this ruined city of Jerusalem and they see a messenger who's coming and they can tell just by the way that he's running that he's bringing good news. And the content of that good news is going to be that God has dealt, has dealt uh, decisively with Babylon and now Babylon will no longer be foreign rulers over the people of Israel. Instead, God himself is going to reign and his reign is going to bring salvation and peace to his people. And this kind of news or tidings that we tend to find as we read through the Old Testament, news or tidings that typically have something to do with kings and kingdoms, these are the, the things that kings would hear uh, as the result of uh, victories in battle and bad tidings would be what they would hear um, around threat or defeat. And so these good tidings that we talk about at Christmas time, that, we, that gets, you know, work, those words get worked into songs and, um, and they come from the scriptures. You know, these aren't good tidings that come with uh, figgy pudding, like the song. These are heralded by messengers who have come to announce something very important about the kingdom. And in this case here in Isaiah, the vision of the good news of God's salvation of his people from Babylonian captivity was a vision of good news for people who desperately needed it. The good news was this, that God has done what God said he would do and he's proven himself faithful once again. It's the kind of good news that they needed. It wasn't simply a nice sentiment but it was a reliable report from a messenger who had seen the victory. Here in this moment of captivity and ruin, the sentinels of Jerusalem, they see this messenger coming over the mountains and he's come to announce peace, salvation, and the reign of God. And so what is the peace that's in view here? It's really this rich Hebrew notion of shalom, 
that we talk about here in this church quite often. It's this word, this concept that means wholeness and goodness and peace, health, life, basically the way things ought to be. It's the way things are when God reigns, when he's in charge. It's the fruition of the life-giving blessing of God that we sing about in the, in the hymn, Joy to the World, when we sing, no more let sin and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. Shalom is God's hope and dream for his world. Plain and simple. It's also his promise. It's one we cling to by hope. But here in the book of Isaiah, in this moment, at this point in the story, Israel is in ruin. And shalom feels like a far off impossibility. But as the messenger in the vision is coming over the mountains with the good news of the restoration of the reign of God, he comes to proclaim the restoration of shalom. Things are going to be set right again and the people rejoice. Even the ruins of Jerusalem rejoice. Where in your life does the possibility of wholeness and restoration feel impossibly far off? Can you relate to the plight of the people here who are desperate for good news? Can you relate to them in their experience of what it would be like for them to actually see the bearer of good news coming over the horizon? What would the beginnings of restoration look like in the parts of your life where wholeness feels most impossible right now? You know, for Isaiah's audience, the beginning of God's restoration of shalom would be marked by their returning to their homeland, a homecoming. It's that promised land from which they had been exiled and taken into captive. And so they were going to be allowed to come home, to reorganize their life together as a people under the reign of God and to cultivate life in the land that would fit God's design for what life should look like, this shalom vision. And similarly for us, I think, as we look at our own needs for restoration in our lives, the beginning of our own restoration to shalom begins with a sort of homecoming as well, doesn't it? Returning to God who is our home, this one who has come in Jesus to make his home with us. You know, the peace of God is really the creator's peace for what he has made and for whom he has made. It's the way he made the world to be. And it's the way he made us as human beings to relate to God and to one another and to the world. And what we discover in Jesus is that God's way of establishing this peace, establishing this shalom on the earth is through relationships marked by self-sacrificial love. This is what we see in Jesus. Just imagine, as you think about your own life, where you are this year, where you're heading, what would your relationships look like if you treated other people and they treated you the way God treats us in Christ? What would our marriages look like in our community if we, pre if we preferred our spouse's needs to our own? How would our own relationships with our children be different 
if we valued them truly as individuals and loved them in a way that was designed to promote their well-being over our own? Or could you imagine what your workplace might look like if colleagues were delighted in one another's success more than they were threatened by the competition? These are the kinds of arenas in which that vision of shalom ought to tease us and tempt us towards stepping out in love to be bearers of this kind of good news and ones who embody a vision of life that is fundamentally good and life-giving to the world. God promises shalom to his people. It's the forecast of our future and it is our calling as the church. And so as we celebrate the Christmas season, which we're still doing, by the way, we don't just celebrate like peace and quiet and time off. Those are good things. And we, I hope you're enjoying some of that this holiday break. But the peace we sing about and the kind of peace that breaks into a world that's full of violence and gossip and backstabbing and prejudice and shame and fear is the kind of peace that comes through the reign of God who is committed to restoring his people and his world to the way they ought to be through the self-sacrificial love of Christ and those who follow him. And the story of that restoration begins with the promise of God and it finds its fulfillment in God coming to be present with his people in Jesus, to live, to die, to rise again, to send his spirit and ultimately return to bring the fullness of his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. God comes to be present with his people. We see the hope of this in Isaiah's vision that describes the Lord's return to Zion. And we see this in John's gospel most amazingly when we see God himself become the word made flesh in Jesus and dwell among us. In Christ, John says, we have seen his glory, the glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. This is Jesus, the light of the world, who comes into our darkness, but the darkness did not overcome him, cannot and will not overcome him. And this is the one in whose, whose glory we must behold if we're going to live into the present darkness of our own situations, not by the light of our own eyes as faithless and unbelieving, to borrow words from the Book of Common Prayer, but rather by the light of Christ and the love of God the Father. Uh, for those who've been around the City Church community for a number of years, you've heard me use this illustration before of the Grand Canyon, uh, which I can't help but think of whenever I come to this opening of John's Gospel. When I was in college, uh, my friends and I, uh, three years in a row, would take a road trip every summer um, and we would always start by driving nonstop from Atlanta to the Grand Canyon, park the car, walk to the bottom of the canyon, put our feet in the Colorado River, and then turn to each other and basically say, okay, so where are we gonna go next? And we might be gone for a month after that. Uh, it was a wonderful adventure um, those years each year. And if you've ever been to the Grand Canyon, you know why my friends and I were so drawn to it. I mean, it's absolutely breathtaking, right? But there's something different about canyon hiking than mountain hiking, and this is why I'm bringing it up here. See, when you hike in the mountains, as many of you have done, you know that the best view comes to those who wait, right? The best view comes to those who keep walking up the hill. 
But canyon country hiking is actually different. The very best view comes at the beginning before you've even taken a single step, before you begin to make your way down in to the canyon. It's the opposite experience because the best view is from the rim. And at the very beginning, you get this overwhelming view of the beauty and the vastness of the terrain and all the colorful stripes of the sediment layers. And then as you go from there and you're hiking down into the depths, the panorama recedes into the background and the details begin to emerge, right? The flora, the fauna, the crags, the terrain. And because you've already seen the panorama, you've already seen the glory of the big picture, you're able to locate yourself and you're able to locate the details inside of the larger landscape because you've seen it from the very beginning of the story. And so you experience the journey in a fundamentally different way. You're not trying to predict the end or project the end of the story by extrapolating from the details, but rather you're experiencing and appreciating the details in light of the ending you already know. And that's the kind of panorama John gives us at the beginning of his gospel. That as we begin to wade into the details of Jesus's life and his encounters with individuals and the way he loves, the way he moves in the earth, the way he gives his life for the redemption of his people, he allows us to see from the very beginning just who it is that we're dealing with. He pulls back the curtain at the very beginning and allows us to behold something of the glory of Christ. And just as John gives us that glimpse at the beginning of his book so that we may know what to expect or we may know who it is we're dealing with as we see the details of Jesus's life unfold. Similarly, I think you and I need a kind of panorama experience as well in our worship right now in our time together as we come to the Lord's table, as we sing, as we come into the presence of God we need to behold the glory of Christ. We need to have our imaginations renewed so that as we move into the details of our own lives, we might begin to locate ourselves inside of the larger story God is telling about the world, inside of the larger vision of shalom and goodness that God intends so that we might know what to do in those spaces that we might rightly not be undone by some of the harder features of the details of our lives? How do we begin to allow God to take our own hopes and dreams for the new year and catch them up and transform them in light of his own hopes and dreams for our lives, for the world, and yes, even for 2021? I think that whole dynamic begins with our beholding the glory of Christ in whom God has come near to us. Our beholding the glory of Christ in whom God has loved and embraced us. Our beholding the glory of Christ in whom God has suffered and died with us and for us to rise again so that we might be brought with him into the fullness of joy in his kingdom, into the fullness of light that overcomes the darkness. That is the future God teaches us and promises us and trains our hearts to anticipate and seek even in the here and now as we feel the darkness creeping in. Whatever comes down the pike for us in 2021, 
my hope and my prayer for us as a church community is that God would give us grace to find our hope and our peace and our joy in Christ who so loved the world that he came among us to live as one of us, to suffer, to die, to rise, and to speak peace to us. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen.